from hymn 79 to verses 1, 4, and 5. Brothers and sisters, please rise if you're able for worship. As we come to have the life of Christ in us renewed once again, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this morning. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and let's sing praise to our God and Redeemer with the words of hymn 77 verses 1 through 3.
It's now this time that we put ourselves under the discipline of God's law. And the law has several purposes. The first purpose is to reveal our sin and our, our weakness before God so that we look to Christ and find forgiveness in Him. And then finally, that uh, following Christ and out of gratitude for what He's done, that we live in thankfulness before Him. And so here God's law as it comes to us from Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or your, life, or your female servant, your male servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And our Lord Jesus summarized the law in two ways. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the, first, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's now sing in response to God's law. Uh, Psalm 25, verses 3 and 4.
God tells us in, our, in his word that when we confess our sins that we can be confident of his forgiveness. He says in Isaiah 1 verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as, as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So assured of God's pardon, let's now pray to him and, and ask him that uh, he would indeed forgive us of our sins and also bless us as we worship him this morning. Let us pray. Lord God and faithful Father, we praise you. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. In grateful devotion, our tribute we bring. We bless your holy name, glad praises we sing. Lord, it's such an amazing thing that we're able to gather and worship you. That we can come and focus our minds on the beautiful relationship that you've established with us. A relationship of steadfast love, of mercy, of love, uh, of long-suffering patience. And Father, when we consider this past week, we're so grateful that you are indeed a merciful and a patient God. We're grateful that we can come boldly into your throne room and ask for your grace, knowing that you indeed will give it. And Father, we need it. You are a God who knows everything, and there is nothing that we can hide from you. All of us are liars naked and exposed before your eyes, before you whom we have to give an account. Lord, you discern our thoughts from afar. And Lord, that means that you know the thoughts that we had, those dirty thoughts, those prideful thoughts, those selfish thoughts, those hate-filled thoughts, those bitter thoughts. And even before a word was on our tongue, you knew it. Which means you heard our sinful words even before we said them. Lord, you know when we sit down and you know when we rise. You know everything that we do. Which means that you know the sins that we've also committed. The things that we've done. That we're displeasing before you. So dear Father, please forgive us. Have mercy on us for Jesus' sake. Take our sins which, which are dark and red. And make them like white snow. Take our sin which is red like crimson and make them whiter than wool. Wash us and clean us. Father, may you work change in our hearts. Use the preaching and singing of your word to work faith in us. That we may more and more hate sin and flee from it. And instead lead a godly life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text this morning comes from First Thessalonians, the first chapter. And in preparation for that, we'll read together from Acts 17. Acts 17 tells us of the story of uh, the church of Thessalonica being planted by Paul. So Acts 17, and we'll read the verses 1 through 15. So Acts 17, we'll read the verses 1 through 15. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on, the, uh, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead 
and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So let's now turn to 1 Thessalonians, which comes after Colossians. So 1 Thessalonians, and we'll read the, the whole chapter together. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfast of hope, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to await for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So far from the reading of God's word, let's now sing in response Psalm 47 verses 1 and 2. And in this psalm, we praise God for his loving choice or his electing love of Israel, his people. So Psalm 47 verse 1 and 2.
So as I mentioned, our text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll just read those words together once again. So 1 Thessalonians 1, and we'll read the verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because, you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Thus far from God's word, after the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing from Psalm 149 verses 1 and 2. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not hard for us to talk about the flaws of the church. In actual fact, it's quite easy. Our conversations can be filled with the church's failings in different areas. We can easily poke holes in in the way that the leadership handles certain situations. We can easily point out certain members who are living maybe two-faced lives. We see people who are disengaged, maybe some who are hardened in sin, or maybe apathy towards the gospel, not being hot or cold. It's easy for us to find flaws, isn't it? And if we look at the church here in Southern River, I'm sure we can find flaws as well. Now picture yourself for a moment that you're writing a letter. If you're writing a letter to the church of Southern River, what would the letter say? And more specifically, how would you begin your letter? Would you begin it by writing something like, Dear brothers, maybe dear esteemed brothers in the consistory, I'm emailing you today or writing you today because I'm concerned about such and such. Or I'm writing you today because of this and this and this. Interestingly enough, if we look at the letters of Paul, Paul's practice wasn't to begin with the flaws. Even as he addresses some very serious sins in the congregations that he sends these letters to, he often begins by pointing out any and every evidence of grace that he sees in the life of God's people. And he rejoices. Maybe a noteworthy example of this that you can recall to mind is the letter of the Corinthians. If you remember that letter, that letter is full of a lot of dysfunction. 
The, the congregation is polarized. There is sexual immorality that is being tolerated. There is pride. There is the abuse of the Lord's Supper table. And yet, when Paul begins that letter, he begins by giving thanks to God, by praising God. And the letter to the Thessalonians is no different in this way. So Paul, he writes this letter to a group of Christians in Macedonia. This was the second missionary journey that Paul went on. As we read from Acts 17, we see that when he went to Thessalonica, he received great opposition. And the thing is, he ends up going off to Berea, but the opposition doesn't stop. Because as you read through the letter of the Thessalonians, you see that these people were quite oppressed in their faith. And so he speaks to this, this church. And despite all the various issues that will come up, issues of sexual morality and purity, laziness and misconceptions about various doctrines, he begins here by thanksgiving. He begins with praising God and giving thanks for the faith of the Thessalonians and also how their faith is an example to those around them. So Paul, he, he came to Thessalonica, he proclaimed the word to them, and the gospel transformed lives. Its impact was everywhere, and he could see it. And so he starts his letter off by praising God for these blessings. And so that brings us to our theme this morning, congregation. We'll see this passage as summarized under this theme, Thank God for the evidence of His grace in the life of the congregation. And so we'll look at the Thessalonians, we'll see that they're a loving congregation, and then we'll notice how they're also a chosen congregation, and third, we'll see how they are a model congregation. So firstly then, we'll look at how they are a loving congregation. So after greeting the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, Paul begins with thanksgiving, and as we look at the thanksgiving, we see, in a way, it gives us a window into Paul's prayer life. It begins, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly or unceasingly mentioning you in our prayers. See, Paul was a leader from the knees up. He was a man who, who daily approached the throne room of God's grace. He, he prayed to God and he asked God to pour out grace on the different congregations that he ministered to. And yet he wasn't the only one, because we see in verse 2 it begins with, we give thanks. So this was Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, all of them giving thanks together. And notice how comprehensive it is. Their thanksgiving is, they give thanks to God always and for all of you. So these brothers, they used every opportunity not to talk about the flaws of every church that they, they had been ministering to, but they used every opportunity to praise God, to thank God for what was going on in these churches. They recount the blessings. They recount the Spirit of God at work in these believers. And notice too, their, thank, uh, their thankfulness is not exclusive. You know, sometimes we can be thankful for some people in the congregation, but maybe we have a hard time being thankful for others in the congregation. But these brothers, they thank God for everybody. Everyone is a reason for thanksgiving. Because everyone in the congregation, God is at work and busy with. And that is a reason for much praise. And so we see that right from the beginning, Paul says, when we think of you, when we think of you Thessalonians, the first thing that comes to mind is gratitude. 
we are just overwhelmed with gratitude for the work of God in your life. And he gives us three reasons why they're so thankful and why they're thanking God for his work. The first reason is given in verse 3. So he said, we give thanks to God and then remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We could translate that sentence a little differently. You could say your work that proceeds from faith, your labor which is caused by love, and your steadfastness which is produced by hope. So the one is causing the other. You see, their faith, the faith of these brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, it wasn't, it wasn't just a head thing. It wasn't something that was cerebral. It was something that was in their heads, it was in their hearts, and it was flowing out in their actions. It was there with their hands. Their faith was a working faith. It was a faith that was producing fruit. It was a faith that was active. See, Paul looks at the congregation and he sees good works everywhere. Works that are motivated by their, by their belief in Jesus Christ. Motivated by a love for one another and also their hope in the coming of Christ. You see, this is, as Paul writes in Galatians 6 verse 5, this is faith working through love. Now, what exactly are these good works that he, that he notices? Well, Paul doesn't really specify what that is. In verse 10, he tells us how this congregation, they were a group of, of people, most likely Gentiles who were converts, that they, had, they were people that turned from God from idols, and they turned to the living and true God. And so we could say that the work of faith that Paul is speaking about He's talking about those things that they did that set them, their life in Christ, apart from their previous life of living for idols and living for idolatry. See, it was those things that showed that they believed in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that they thank God for is the labor of love. You see, it, these acts of faith were motivated by a love for God and a love for one another. In congregation, this is something that Jesus Christ says is one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian. It shows that you are a new creation, that you love God, and it shows it forth in loving one another and loving others around you. Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, he says, By this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the Thessalonians really loved one another. Later, Paul, he commends them for their love. He says to them, now concerning brotherly love, you, we, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for this indeed is what you are doing. Essentially, he says to them, concerning love, I don't have to write anything to you. Because you're already loving one another so well. In a sense, all he says to them, the command that he gives to them, is just keep loving, keep going. Do this more and more and more. Continue to grow. And why did they love? They loved because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that love for one another, it could be seen in words and in deeds. And so Paul thanks God. He praises God. Because this was a congregation who loved now, brothers and sisters, in the same way, there's much reason for us also to thank God 
One of the great pleasures that I had this past week was just to reflect on the evidence of grace of God in your life, in the life of the congregation, the things that I've seen. Because like the Thessalonians, your faith is alive, it's working, it's active, it's producing fruits. There's much generosity amongst you. There's much hospitality. People who open up their hearts and open up their homes to others. Or think of those who, who open, they, they go and um, provide rides for the elderly so that they can come and also worship. Well, that is motivated by love. Or you can think of those, all the, the ladies, you know, you get the meal trains that happen and they fill up super quickly. Whether it's a baby or whether it's caring for someone who's sick, those meal trains get filled up. And as I was visiting you and have noticed that, you know, some of you really have a heart for those who are struggling in the congregation. And then others of you have a real heart for those who, who are on the fringes and who are on the outside. And you go out of your way to, to try look out for them and to look after them. And then others of you have a real heart for those who are coming in, who are new. You try to welcome them. You make sure that they're received. Now, why do you do that? Why do you do that, brothers and sisters? Now, maybe we can say, well, that's just what a church does. But Paul would answer very differently. He says, it's because your works are proceeding from faith. Your labor is caused by your love. It's because you love God that you love one another. It's because of your hope in Jesus Christ that you, your, your faith is active and it's busy. Now, yes, there's rooms for improvement and there's rooms for growth. There's room for maturity. But Paul's point here, notice, he's going to admonish them. He's going to encourage them to continue growing later. But at this point, he praises God. And congregation, we can praise God as well. You can praise God. Because his evidence of his grace is at work in you. It's seen that. It, you can, I've seen that. Because your faith is working. So that's the first reason that Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks to God because the Thessalonians are people whose faith is active and it's shown in fruits of love and work. And the second reason he praises God is because this is a congregation who are chosen by God. Now in the Canons of Dort, we confess that the doctrine of election, uh, that it should be taught for two purposes, to the glory of God's most holy name and for the living comfort of his people. So it's taught for the living comfort of his people. Now, I don't know about your experiences, but sometimes that's not always the case. Maybe the doctrine of election, it, it can fill your heart with instead of comfort, but rather instead uncertainty and, and maybe certain fears. Often we can ask the question, am I really someone who's elect? Has God really chosen me? And yet for Paul, this is another reason of thanksgiving. He says, verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And notice the close connection between the love of God and his electing, his sovereign choice. Those two go intimately together. 
And this is already uh, seen back in the Old Testament. If you think of Moses when he's speaking to the Israelites right before they enter the promised land in Deuteronomy, he says to them in Deuteronomy 7 verse 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you. And then that connection between the love of God and his choice, his sovereign choice, it comes back in uh, in Deuteronomy 10 verse 15. It says, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. Set his heart in love and chose their offspring. You above all peoples as it is this day. So those whom God loves, he chooses. Brothers and sisters, a good example of this is, is adoption. You think of a couple, they adopt a child, they choose the child, and that choice comes from a love that they have for the child. They look at the child, they set their love on the child, and they bring the child into their home. They choose the child. Well, in a similar, similar way, it is in God's boundless and unbridled love that he chooses people. Not people who are lovely in and of themselves, but people who are sinners, who are living in rebellion against him. God chooses these people because of his love for them and brings them into his family. This is why Paul gives thanks. Because God is gathering this church. He's choosing these believers out of his love for them and gathering them together. But then you could ask the question, well, how in the world does Paul know that? It's not like he opens the the heavens up and he can see the mind of God? Isn't this as, if we read through Canons of Door, it mentions about prying into the secret things of God? How can Paul be so sure about this? Well, Paul tells us why. He says there, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. And why? Verse 5, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When Paul preached the word to these believers, they believed. It came with power. It came with conviction. One of the things that we see in the Old Testament is, I mean, the New Testament, is that God often accompanied the preaching of the gospel early on with signs and miracles. And most likely that's what Paul is referring to here when he says, in power. So if you think of Romans 15, Romans 15, it says, uh, Paul says there he, that he spoke about Christ. And it says, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And if you read through the book of Acts, you, you see that. That the preaching of the gospel is accompanied by these great works. And all of that is testifying to those people that the word is true. So you think of Acts 2 verse 43. It says there that awe, after this is after the preaching of the gospel, it says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So God often accompanied the preaching of the gospel with power, with these signs. And they testified to the truth of Paul's preaching. People could know this was serious. This was for real. But more importantly, so he says it comes to you in power. But more importantly, he says here that the gospel came in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
You see, the church of Thessalonica didn't just receive Paul's preaching as another, you know, another rambling philosopher that had come into town or another peddler who had come in trying to earn some money. No, but they received the word of God for what it really is. This is something that Paul says later on in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he says, he says there that he thanks God for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He praises God. He knows that God has set his love on this people, has chosen this group of Christians. Why? Because when the gospel goes forth, the spirit is at work and they receive the word. Not just as words of men, but for what it is, the word of God. When they heard the gospel, they didn't hear a motivational speech. They didn't hear a TED talk. They heard the voice of the good shepherd calling them to faith and repentance. And they were fully convinced. That is how Paul knew that these Christians were loved and chosen by God because they believed. And that faith could only come through the power of the Holy Spirit because their hearts had been uh, made open by the Holy Spirit. He made them receptive to the gospel. And once again, brothers and sisters, there is much reason for thanksgiving because this is what you see in this congregation the spirit at work at work powerfully the gospel has come not just in words but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction you believe the gospel you come Sunday after Sunday not to hear the words of Dirk Poppy or Dathan Plater but the words of Christ, you hear it for what it really is, the word of God. It's because the spirit has opened your heart to believe. Because the spirit is at work in you. And what Paul is saying here is when you see the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life, when you see yourself turning from sin, turning away and hating those sins, fighting Satan's temptations, and then instead pursuing Christ, striving to live for him. Well, Paul says, you can know that you are loved and chosen by God. Why? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because you would not believe if the Holy Spirit did not open your heart. But the gospel has come to you in full conviction, in power, and the Holy Spirit. Because God loves you. And has chosen you. What a reason to praise God. What is a reason to thank God. So that's the second reason that Paul gives thanks. And the third reason he gives thanks is because the Thessalonians were a model congregation. So he speaks there about imitation. The imitation he says in. He says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So often, if you think of our lives, we don't want people imitating us. But Paul thanks God here that this, this church is imitating him. I'm not sure if the kids still play Simon Says, the game Simon Says, anymore. 
But what happens when you play the game, Simon says, you line up behind a leader. And then, the le- and then you have to copy the leader exactly for what he says. If he says, put your, Simon says, put your hands on your head, well then you copy the leader. And you all put your hands on your head and you walk around with your hands on your head. Well, imagine not doing that for a recess, not doing that for a lunchtime, or for a day, or for a week, but for your whole life. You see, what Paul is saying to them, he says, can you imagine someone saying this, imitate me, copy me, do Simon Says for your whole life. Because that's what Paul is saying. This church is imitating them. It is imitating him. They are following him. And he praises God for it. Isn't that somewhat prideful? How, how could Paul praise God that a church is imitating him? Well, the reason why is because Paul was a man who not only preached the gospel, but lived the gospel. He says, for you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. He preached a suffering Savior, and he followed in the footsteps of his Savior. And so when Paul and his companions, when they say in various passages of Scripture, imitate us, you think of 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Or in Philippians 3 verse 17, it says, brothers, join in imitating me. Well, when he calls them to imitate, it's not a matter of pride. It wasn't because Paul just wanted to set up the church of Paul or create a platform for himself in Macedonia. It's because Paul's life reflected the life of Christ. That's why he calls others to imitate him, to copy him. See, Paul, the the, the people could look at him. They could look at his life and they they could see an example of what Christ's likeness looked like. And so Paul writes, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, it wasn't about Paul, it was about Christ. He says to the Thessalonians, well, in all these other passages where he talks about imitating, he says, you want to follow Christ? And you want to know an example of what that looks like? You can look at me, because that's how closely I'm following my Savior. And this is what the Thessalonians did. They imitated him, and as he says there, they, you became imitators of us, so Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he marvels because they became imitators of him and in so doing they became models for others to imitate. Do you see that? So Paul modeled what Christ's likeness looked like and they followed that. And then as they lived that, they themselves become a model that others look at and see the life of Christ. He says there, it says there, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So these believers, despite their suffering, despite the oppression that they experienced, as we read in Acts 17, despite all of that, they imitated Christ. They looked at Paul. They saw a model of what Christ's likeness looked like. And they lived that. And they themselves became a model for others. It's amazing. 
Paul literally says here, he says, everyone's talking about you, Thessalonica. Your faith and Christ-likeness in the face of severe oppression is a model to us all. Everyone's talking about how you have turned from your idols and you are now living for the true and living God. Have you turned away from those dead and false gods? Everyone is talking about how despite your persecution, you are expectantly waiting for Jesus Christ. Paul says, you are a model for us. And in fact, Paul uses this church to encourage other churches. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 5, we read about this. Paul is speaking to other churches about this church. So he says here in in 2 Corinthians 8, So 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 through 5. So he's speaking about the churches of Macedonia. And he says there, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So notice, their faith was working in love. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God in us. You see, Paul uses them. He says, look, what God has done in this congregation you're an example of what, of what following Christ looks like. And he tells the Corinthian church, just look at Macedonia. See what they're doing. Because they are following their Savior. Now, brothers and sisters, you too can thank God. Because this is not only true for Thessalonica, but it's also true for you. You too are reflecting Christ. Be that in weakness. You are reflecting your Savior. You are imitating Him. You are following Him. And you're doing so amid much suffering. You know, here Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians and they were persecuted. They had opposition. And some of you face that. Some of you face opposition from family members and from friends. And you continue. And you continue with joy in your hearts because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But then others experience suffering, I think we can, we can broaden it out to suffering in general. I've often come away from visits among you so encouraged because I hear of the things that you're going through and, the, and you're suffering. And I walk away amazed at God's work in your life. Amazed and encouraged that despite the brokenness, despite the pain, that you are following your Savior. That you are reflecting Christ. And in fact, I've written a few of those stories down so that one day your faith in Christ and your labor of love and your imitation of him may be an encouragement to others as well so that others may look at your Christ-likeness and be encouraged. There's much reason to be thankful. You see, what a beautiful way to begin a letter. He says, God is doing beautiful things among you. And brothers and sisters, we can say the same thing. Does that mean there's 
there's no sin in the congregation, that doesn't mean there's no flaws. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. We can easily point out those things. But at this point, Paul is saying, we can leave that. Instead, notice the evidence of God's grace. Be amazed. Be amazed because he is busy. He is working among you. As a congregation, you too can be encouraged. The Spirit is saying to you this morning, the gospel is at work in you. It's made an impact in your life. There is evidence of his grace and your testimony to that. Amen. Let's now sing in response to the the preaching of the gospel, Psalm 149, verse 1 and 2. Come before God and pray.
Father in heaven, when we look at our church, we acknowledge that there are many flaws. There are things that we can point to that need to be better. There's things that we can point to where we need to mature and grow, where heart change needs to happen. We can point out much sin and brokenness. And Father, sometimes we can look at that and we can be filled with despair or even succumb to cynicism and bitterness. We can become disillusioned with what is happening. And so we thank you. We thank you for your encouragement of your word this morning. Lord, you teach us in many ways not to be surprised by sin, but to be surprised and to rejoice by your grace at work amongst us. When we see righteousness and when we see holiness, even if it's but a beginning of the perfection that you require. Lord, your your word is calling us to praise you for the real and tangible impact of the gospel that is at work in this congregation. Father, thank you for the people here in Southern River. Thank you for filling their hearts with faith, a faith that is motivated by a love for you and a sincere hope in Jesus Christ. And thank you that this faith is busy, that it's working, loving one another and caring for one another. Father, most of all, thank you for sending your spirit into their midst. They believe in you and they are a testimony of your electing love which has gathered them together. And Father, thank you that they not only believe the gospel, but also reflect it and model it to others. Thank you for all your work. For Lord, you are indeed busy among us. And we praise you for this. And we are, be, we are overwhelmed by it. Lord, may this congregation continue to imitate their Savior, walking closely with him in all of life. And may all these things happen more and more. Lord, continue to pour out your favor on us and to pour out your spirit on us. Father, one of the ways in which you're so gracious to us is is through our mothers. Father, today is Mother's Day and we praise you for the many faithful and godly mums in this congregation. Thank you for their loving and caring hearts. Thank you for the way that they've nurtured us or our children or the other members of the congregation. Thank you for their teaching their wisdom, their patience, and their understanding as they do all the, the daily duties, as they run busy households with young kids and older kids. Thank you for the way that they make our houses a home and bless us with their physical, emotional, and spiritual gifts that you have given them. Lord, thank you so much for the blessing that we receive through them. And yet, Lord, we acknowledge too that while this is a reason for much joy and we praise you, we also acknowledge that this can be painful for some people because some of us haven't had a very good experience all the time. Lord, please comfort them in their situation. Bring someone else into their life who can be the mother that they may have never had. Help them to realize that if their mother abandoned them or ignored them, that you love them so dearly and that you've shown this in our Savior Jesus Christ and that you will never leave and forsake them. Lord, we also pray for the women amongst us who would love to be mothers and are not, who would love to hear the the little sound of, of feet down the hallway but don't. Lord, you are a God who is near the brokenhearted. And Father, we commit them in your care. We don't understand your ways for they are higher than ours. 
But Lord, we confess that you are good and we pray that you would show your goodness to them, that you would surround them with your loving arms. May we too as a congregation be sensitive to them and that we would rally around them in their needs. Father, we thank you too that we have an opportunity to give of our gifts. Lord, that's one way that we show our thankfulness before you. Lord, we thank you for the work of mission work, where your gospel is going forth. And we pray that as your gospel came to us with power and with conviction and with the Holy Spirit, that it would go forth with power, with conviction, and with the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you turn many hearts to you. We pray that you please be with uh, Reverend Ryan DeYoung and Reverend uh, David Paul and, his, and their wives. Bless the, the support staff and the others that are busy there. Father, give them all that they need, that they may be able to preach the gospel and to also equip those and to train those who desire to preach the gospel. We thank you for the work and also the continuing work of the indigenous pastors there. Lord, we praise you for this. And we ask that you continue to bless it. We thank you too that Ryan Dion could celebrate his birthday. We pray that you would uh, grant that that was an enjoyable day for him. And we pray that you continue to bless him in the new year. Father, we thank you for all your goodness and all your blessings which you pour out on us. We pray that you would please be with us in the rest of this day, the rest of this day of worship, and hear us, Father, not because we are worthy of it, but because Christ is. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your offerings, and as it is mentioned in the, in the liturgy, your offerings are requested for the work of mission work in P&G. And then afterwards, we'll sing a psalm of thanksgiving, hymn 85, verses 1, 2, and 3.
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.